or December 31st, 2018. It's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 548. The real signs are the paper ones. Overthinking it, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The overthinkers are like your smart, funny friends from the internet. Uh, we're never happier than when we are hanging out together, talking over uh, the things that interest us. Sometimes the the latest movie or a TV show, an album, a book, a video game that we're all into. But this week, uh, it is me, Matt Rather, and my good friend Pete Fenzel. Hello, Pete. Hey, Matt. And we are uh, not on any particular subject. We're wrapping up 2018. We're headed into 2019. And and sometimes we like to just uh, pause and take on a subject more generally. This this time, it's uh, the end of the year. And you know what happens at the end of the year. I'm sure you know, Peter. We all sing Old Lang Syne. (laughs) <laughs> I thought you were going to say we all get sinus infections. <laughs> I, I definitely have had that, have had like uh, more than my share of upper respiratory dis- distress this year, not only um, for reasons of cold weather and, and the changing of the seasons, also because there was this big fire that, that uh, all our air quality was shot to poop for uh, a little while here in Los Angeles. And I feel like that has affected my upper um Upper respiratory issues. Uh, no, old Lang Syne. Well, uh, well, Pete, you you uh, you had an experience recently that <laughs> that uh, brought up the topic to you, and you brought it up to me of of signs, signage, um, and the the meaning of signs. And I think that like I think that the new year is an appropriate time to talk about to talk about signs because uh, signs and what they augur. Um, is, uh, is, you know, thinking about the new year and hoping for good luck and good fortune and, and happiness in the new year is, uh, is on everybody's mind now and making, making plans and things like this. And, and what better, what better way to, um, what better way to uh, celebrate this time when we all think about signs of the times than to talk about literal signs uh, in that in that slightly obtuse overthinking it way? So, Pete, what was the sign? What was to you the sign that we <laughs> should talk about signs? What was the sign that you saw that we should talk about signs? Oh, I mean, it was just CVS. <laughs> it wasn't anything too crazy. No, it was. Uh, I actually. Actually, I do, in fact, have a sinus infection, which I found out because I went to the Minute Clinic today, or at least they told me that's what they think. And uh, I've just had a bad cough and everybody's been sick and so on and so forth. So I was just thinking how it was a strange experience to walk into the clinic underneath the signage for the CVS. And I thought also in particular what stuck out in my mind is the sign of the wall of a Walgreens. So so if you're envisioning uh, because my wife went to Walgreens for unrelated reasons. And so I had gone to CVS. She had gone to Walgreens. I had gone to the doctor. She had bought like some sort of random snack or something. So, and so yet these things are somewhat equivalent, right? There's a symmetry between CVS and Walgreens, but the signs are very different. And, and it got me thinking about the idea of, of what we experience. And again, this is not like a daring new idea. This is 
hyper reality and and what is it i always confuse baudelaire and baudrillard but it's one of those two right this idea of like the mapping of the artificial world onto the experienced world which we've talked about a bunch of times over the years in the podcast but like you're walking on the street and you encounter symbols and the symbols create a cultural experience for you that's one that's shared with other people that are walking down that street or other streets that have the same sign on it and this to me when i'm thinking okay well what's an aspect of pop culture that you know what is pop i'm often thinking when we head into these two-handers what is a dimension of what constitutes pop culture that escapes our notice and would never be something we discussed if we actually sat down to plan it and it this is how we come up with things like you know and andy mcdowell getting bumped from first class to coach mm. <laughs> talking about it on instagram but also stuff like you know are talking about pictures and are talking about solitude and yeah just this idea that we all sort of take it for granted that you're when you're outside, whether you're walking, whether you're on a, in a vehicle or on a vehicle or on a horse or whatever, in a park, uh, on a street, you're going to be encountering things that have been put up that are basically an augmented reality system that, that give you information about the place that you are and give you direction or influence as to how you're supposed to feel about it and what you're supposed to do while you're there. And that this experience is so honed and standardized by the millennia of use that these things have gotten. Mm. Uh, you know, this the whole idea of like, oh, you know, it's a picture of a, sh- of a horseshoe. That's a blacksmith, right? And now it's like, oh, it's a picture of a of a what i'm trying to think of a sign nowadays that uses an actual picture as opposed to the same sans serif font in bright blue and orange or bright green and pink or something yeah um but uh but you know what i mean like you know i I, the one that popped into my head was the the foot with the wing on it for like the athlete's foot the old defunct if it's defunct i don't even know it's still around sure uh footwear company or the foot locker Uh Uh, but like but also that it's worth discussing it now because we're moving into an era where you're seeing, you know, brick and mortar stores, which have been one of the re- both brick and mortar stores and, you know, human directed driving uh, as as being sort of partially moved into the electronic and digital sphere. And as such, the signage signage has new competition. And so I figured it might be good to tend to take a moment to talk about this signage and what it's doing. You know, why do I feel a certain way? When I walk into the CVS to get told that I have a sinus infection over the course of an hour um, that I don't get if I walk into a Walgreens or a doctor's office. Uh, and, and, and I guess also how is the sign directing me, but also how is the sign kind of a cultural experience for me? So I guess it's sort of two roads that are diverging there. Um, does either of that re- uh, resonate with you, Matt? And you're sort of thinking about this kind of stuff that's always all over the place. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. I mean, the the our visual culture is a is a hodgepodge and is a whole. I mean, is a whole mess. Um, the idea that like you'd think like an athlete's foot, you know, remember the the, the what was it like the winged sandal of Mercury or something yeah, like that? Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. Or, but more like a basketball shoe with a wing on it, um, right? So it goes back to this this sort of uh, well, I guess the wing sandal of Mercury was more more associated with delivering messages than right than like keeping your keeping your arches high and the balls of your feet comfortable while you know running long distances while running a marathon or playing a sport or something like that. But that that like that that when that sign is available to everybody, 
right, then it's a cultural symbol. And when it becomes kind of a brand for a, a, a corporation, right, um, it it gets sort of privatized. It gets it gets commodified. And the 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 interesting thing for me a little bit is like how our visual culture gets gets sort of privatized in the same way that, you know, public utilities and things like that, that get privatized. It's, it's different if any package delivery service or any mail carrier or anything like that can use the wing sandal of mercury to say, that's, that's what you get here. Right. And, uh, and it's a different thing if, if that symbol points to a particular commercial business and then is trademarked so that there's no confusion in, the marketplace right like the the a a a cultural iconography is based on the idea of community of of confusion in the marketplace that is to say if there is a sort of fungibility of services uh one you know apothecary one green grocer one um package company is as good as another uh then it's um you know, then, then there's a kind of, there's a sort of commons, right? In the same way that like in a store, you know, you have the, the barrel of flour marked XXX or something like that, that the, or is that dynamite that, that gets marked XXX? I forget. It's alcohol. It's alcohol. Oh, it got marks, it. It marks okay. XXX. There yeah. you go. Uh, you're, you have a, you have a wooden barrel of flour, right? Like, and, uh, when you ask the grocer for flour, uh, he scoops however much, um, flour you, you want into, uh, plastic bag right like it's this is almost like this is returned in whole foods you know the idea that like we're back to the commodity bins of oats or something like that rather than buying a a brand of oatmeal and it is sort of it is kind of funny that at the very high end of the market that this this sort of pre uh pre-brand mode of commerce should should return but then a brand like is you know i don't know gold metal flour you know you know you're getting gold metal flour you don't really know what's in the barrel you don't know where it comes from and and gold metal flour makes a promise about the experience that you're going to have but it it sort of differentiate differentiates itself and and it um you know what i mean this is like what is branding you you wrap yourself you wrap a commodity in um in kind of a promise about an experience uh, that speaks to your aspirations or speaks to your fears or speaks to, you know, some sort of psychological need that, that you have. And that's, that's, uh, that's a, um, suddenly you have a branded product and every time you use it, you partake in that, uh, you, you know, you partake in that promise and, and hopefully feel like it's, it's fulfilled. At least that's what the, the brand marketers hope. Um, does it make sense, Pete, where I'm, where I'm trying to go with this, that the, the idea of like, you know, the idea of the, the you know, drugstores are not marked with RX anymore. You know what I mean? With the, the sort of prescription symbol, they're not marked with, um, I don't know what, what, what are some other symbols, a, a red cross or something yeah. or the or mortar a, and pestle. Yeah. yeah. The mortar and pestle. That's another yeah. great one. Or like a, um, here all the marijuana dispensaries had green crosses for, yeah. for a second, but, uh, that like is not marked with that anymore. They're marked with a, you know, enterprise specific, brand 
marker and and the idea of you going to cvs and your wife going to walgreens uh i had a little frisson of like of of um of dissonance there it's like what are you not a one drugstore household you know <laughs> you think i don't go to walgreens <laughs> you well, think i don't go to rite aid are you, you not are, all those places? are you not loyal are you not loyal to one sir <laughs> are you you must pick a uh you must pick one um Anyway, that, so, that, like, that, that, that's what I was thinking, the way that the visual culture gets sort of colonized by business, uh, by capitalism, to sort of differentiate businesses rather than to establish a commonality among them. Okay, so a couple things. One, a correction. Okay, triple X. On flour, it means a high-gluten flour. Ah. On moonshine, it means that it has been distilled three times and is almost pure alcohol. Of the two, I feel like I was more likely to encounter the second through Bugs Bunny cartoons. Now, XXX on your neck means that you're (laughs) looking at three strikes. And you better believe that if you don't join the secret spy agency, you're going to prison for the rest of your life for stealing that Corvette and driving it off a bridge. Mr. Xander Cage. Uh, So I feel like I'm look, here's the thing. Um, I'm starting to get real bored with uh, the knee-jerk definition, uh, the the sort of knee-jerk solution to intellectual questions that starts with the word capitalism. Because capitalism is question-begging, right? Like, if when you live in a capitalist society, most of what you do is capitalist. And as such, it doesn't give you a lot of information about what's actually going on, right? Like, uh, so it's it's like, um, I mean, sure, right? But at the same time, is it really, I, I would wonder, is it really the case that in non-capitalist economies, signage doesn't differentiate by individual or by business? I don't know. That would be an interesting sort of exercise, right, to, like, look into, to say, like, is it really the way that kind of currency and and uh, currency-denominated wealth is accrued and bought and sold and transacted and priced that is dictating uh, how these kinds of symbols are being used? Um, or is it that a, a developing technology and the use of symbol is finding an application in this particular system that happens to be the system that we all live in? Uh, I'm just curious. Just tossing that out there. Just tossing that out there. Do you want, but me, there's you no want, to, to, you want me to pick that up now or you want to you want to push on? Well, let's 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 dan- let's tap on that one and let's bounce over to say, I think what you're real what you're really saying, or not what you're really saying, but the part of it that you're saying that um, that doesn't question beg is this idea that uh, there are indiv- that that a sign can show you a sameness or a sign can show you a difference. Right. And uh, yeah. okay, just to tap just to tap on the thing in a in an atmosphere of many smaller businesses. Uh, it is advantageous to show a sameness in an atmosphere of fewer larger businesses. It's advantageous to show a difference. And that's the, that's the part that I think relates to the economics. That's really interesting. So the idea that the, the that it's related to scale. Yeah. That, like, when, if, yeah. I'm, if I'm Joe, if I'm Joe pharmacist, right. Uh, and you have no real, and you're in a foreign city or something like that. Like it is more, it's better for me to show you that I'm a pharmacist than for me to differentiate myself from like John pharmacist or Jane pharmacist across the street. Uh, if you are, 
you know, if you're CVS, Walgreens, and, and Rite Aid, right, which are sort of the only game in town, or Dwayne Reed, if you're in New York, right, um, that then uh, differentiating yourself from the sh- the shop that's right across the street that could be like diagonally across the same city block, right, is uh, uh, is more advantageous, and that that scale, I think, is like a feature of. Uh, is a feature of, I guess, what gets called late capitalism a little bit. <laughs> I just, I just feel like I think it's such a ballsy thing and to call I'm, something late I'm, capitalism when I'm, you don't, because people have been calling it that since the '30s, <laughs> and it's just like a casual 80 years being like, oh, don't worry, it's coming. Yeah, it's, it's like sure, sure thing, Saint Paul. You know, we're gonna, <laughs> we're all gonna cut our eyes out if we look at anybody attractive because we know the end's right around the corner. Uh, but, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess I guess it's just late Scotsmaning, but the... <laughs> I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Uh, I know what you mean, and that the that that they're to, to sort of step away from that whole thing for a second. It's um. I find yeah. Here's what I find interesting is the I'm I'm fascinated by how the same the road signs are. Yeah, like on the highway. Sure. Yeah, jump on that. Jump on that. Talk talk to me about that. About but like those are sta- those are standard. I I mean there are federal standards for road signs, right? Well, I mean not even in the United States. Like if you drive to Canada, the signs are a little bit different, but it's still pretty similar. Right, like road signs. I mean, I'm, I'll I'll Google it right now. Right, like what does Singapore road signs look like? I, I I'm, I'm reminded of uh, our Crazy Rich Agents podcast, where one of the things that I, that had come up was that um, I think when they shot that movie and several other movies that take place in Singapore, they cover up the existing road signs and replace them with road signs that look more foreign because Singapore road signs are partially, at least in English, and as such, it doesn't look like a foreign city, uh, a foreign enough city to assist for the exotic establishing shots that they want to... uh, that they want to to uh, give you at the beginning, like oh look at this road and this exotic city, right? Um, but if you look, you know it's like similar sorts of green and white, you know the brown for for cultural places. I'm just like looking through different road signs in Singapore. Now maybe it's that there's some, you know, giganto international road sign interest. Maybe it's the sort of international standardization bodies that create it. Um, but I, I'm also interested in just the experience of it, like. You you're driving to either the CVS or the Walgreens. You're not driving to the apothecary or the pharmacy or the candy bar store. So as in like they are big enough that the stores aren't telling you what they're doing. They're telling you how they're different from each other because Walgreens is in cursive and CVS is in block sans serif capitals. Yep. <laughs> and and when you're going there, you're going on roads that are like ardently and adamantly the same, even if the roads operate in like fundamentally different ways. That's that might be one of the more crazy things about driving is that you go from state to state in the United States and the layouts of the roads do change, right? The, the kinds of turns that you encounter change. Yeah. This area has roundabouts. This area has jug handles. If you get on the on-ramp in this kind of, in this state, it's likely to behave in this sort of way. If you're going to get on the on-ramp in that kind of state, it's going to behave in that kind of way. But the signs everywhere are the same, which can lull you into a false sense of security in thinking that you know which way the roads are going to go. Yeah, I mean, like, that's, I, that's I, yeah. an interesting thing, that there's more variability in the lines painted on the street than the, the letters painted on the sign. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting. So yeah, so I guess what? So the idea is that it's federal. Uh, the federal government is yeah, especially has no the, interest in, in differentiating itself from anything. 
Right. And especially, uh, especially on the interstate, right. It's probably and, like one of the conditions of getting whatever that, that sweet, sweet federal money is that comes with, you know, obeying the, the interstate highway system or something that, that, that like, you know, that you, you make signs with the same typeface or something like that. There's probably some facility where like prisoners churn them out at, at 17 cents an hour or something like that. Uh, right. the, in the, you know, in the, the federal penitentiary system. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, Matt, jeez. I mean, we can cover these topics. The problem, Pete, is capitalism, right? It's the it's the alienated of Matt. Are alienated. you having? Are you personally having money problems right now? <laughs> and are mad at the economy? Not to say that there aren't legitimate complaints. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a tech worker. I'm a member of the most overpaid demographic in the. Um, Probably in the history of man, though I don't know. There, there are some robber barons or something who might who might beg to differ. <laughs> you're not, you're not a locus for a railroad interest. That's why. No, I, I shouldn't joke around about these things because obviously they're okay. Well, let's let's talk about it like this then. Let's 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 dive in. So, but street streets. Oh, yeah. The complaint. What? The underlying complaint here. So, so it seems to me that there is an anxiety here, and that the anxiety and and you can again come back at me, correct me if I'm wrong. So. The capitalism, right, is intrinsically linked to the idea of exploitation. Exploitation meaning you get less, you get to keep less than what you do, right? Like you, because you're on the sort of opposite side of stuff, you're on the sort of downside of the, uh, the, the kind of the way that the leverage and the system works because you work and, you know, you and I are workers. We get most of our money from our labor. Uh, as such, we are always going to get to take home less than the value of what we make, Right. And that's kind of the dev- defining aspect, as far as I understand it, of capitalism and exploitation. And um, as such, there is this union. Then we're talking about a link between having less than what we make and the idea that the signage on the stores that we go to is being made less than what it might be. It, it's it, I'm, just, I'm, I'm linking. I mean, I'm introducing this notion of um, since there's an anxiety of exploitation. Right. So like for uh, putting aside, let's assume let's assume let's like to kind of like leap over all of the various sorts of more complicated discussions of like what sets wages and whether I'm over or underpaid uh, relative to human beings in the world or whatever. Um, uh, but actually, you know, none of us do this podcast for, for the money. We do it for the love. But the podcast is the main thing we do. Um, hey, but by the way, uh, yeah. we're, we're grateful for the support of our members. Head over to overthinkingit.com <laughs> slash join for only five bucks a month. You can support an overthinker. Uh, you can sponsor an overthinker who will, uh, you know, I don't know, read a book or something. Go, who will go to one third of a movie with that five dollars a month that you, uh, uh, that you that you contribute. No, just kidding. We do have a I- membership program. We're grateful for the members. Overthinkingit.com slash join. Thank you. I'm interested in the tension between what seem like asymmetrical anxieties with regards to public signage. And it seems like one anxiety is the exploitation anxiety, that the, the, the system is taking something away from me and keeping a piece for itself. And the thing that it is taking away is like the sort of honesty of signage, right? That like this, this sign would just have a picture of a hamburger on it, except that the corporation has an interest in owning what the image is. And so it picks an image that it can own and it takes away from the thing that I would see. So that's the anxiety on the one side of it. The anxiety on the other side of it is that I'm putting up a sign so that you know it's me. And and uh, that's the point, right? I put up the sign because I want you to see that this is something that I'm doing. I, in this case, being like a collective on the people on the producer side of things. Um, 
And I am nervous that if my sign isn't different enough from what other people uh, put up, then a somebody else can just copy it and lead them to, and lead them lead other people to believe that their benefit that, that my work is benefiting them. Right. Sure. I mean, but when, um, so when you're driving on the, I mean, you're you're a devoted driver, Pete. You're a you're a uh, uh, auto aficionado, and you go on road trips, right? When you're hungry, are you hungry or are you hungry for McDonald's? I never eat McDonald's. Well, are you hungry or are you hungry for Burger King? I, don't, I, I don't never know. eat Burger King. What, no, no, no. <laughs> are you hungry or are you hungry for friendlies? Uh, that's a good question. I would say certainly for it's it's funny the, when I get on road trips. Um, how do you? I'll, I'll ask you. How do you pick food? I'll tell you first because you asked me the question. How do I pick food on road trips? Yeah, uh, I mostly use Google Maps, much to the consternation of other people in the car with me, because it's like what's close and has the kind of food that I want. But also, I tend to drive the same route over and over again and take various sorts of risks, saying like, okay, well, we're going to get off here and we're going to see if we can find a place that's near here. I'll look at a map. I'll try to find a place that's nearby. I will, of course, zoom in because I know if I zoom out, I will only get big chains. And in order to see more options, I have to zoom in and I look at the pictures of the places that people have taken and left on the maps thing. I'll say, what does this place look like? That place doesn't look good. What does this place look like? Oh, that place looks nice, right? That place looks interesting. Um, and as such, I've kind of over time, um, developed a little stable of places, mostly between Boston and, uh, New York city, New Jersey that I'll stop at. And, um, uh, the, the only brand, the only sort of multi, location brand other than the Merritt Parkway rest stops that we like and stop at frequently is Frank Pepe's pizza. Uh, because that was a thing that was a thing in New Haven where we went to college. It's also delicious. My wife loves pizza. Who doesn't love pizza? Right. Frank Pepe's pizza now has this bought by hedge fund and now has locations all up and down uh, Route 84 in particular uh, between um, Wait, New York. Wait, Pepe's was bought by a hedge fund? God, this is what I yeah. this is what I miss living on the West Coast. Sorry, Matt, you um, you were under the impression that capitalism was in some sort of late stage. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't, in fact, in the stage of owning all the pizza, uh, which is a pretty important place for anybody in power to be. Uh, I mean, first, what is it? What is it that Shakespeare said about revolutions? First, eat all the pizza. Yeah, I think that exactly. was the first, the first step in revolutions. Um, but no, no, no. But uh, Frank Pepe's is, is expanded. A bunch of times. There's one in Danbury. There's one um, in I think it's in Waterbury. Oh, I might not be. Don't don't take my word for it. I know there's one in Danbury. I know there's one closer closer to Stamford. Um, but it's a good pizza place, right? So there's Frank Pepe's, and then there's also Traveler. Do you know Traveler, Matt? No, it's a. Uh, it must be a local thing. Okay, so Traveler is worth talking about. In fact, in fact, maybe if the only reason that we've endeavored upon this discussion is to talk about Traveler, then great. Because Traveler— if oh, you, oh, 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 I know. No, that's Traveler. The guy, that's the guy who Wesley goes off with in uh, season five <laughs> or six of Star Trek The Next Generation, who teaches him, like, uh, how to think beyond th- thought or something like that. Exactly. Right? Got it. Okay. So Traveler, it's, it's also it's got a you know it for the big sign. It is an eating place. It is a restaurant that is relatively close to the Massachusetts Connecticut border on the Connecticut side of the line. I tend to think of it as close to Toland, but I only think of Toland as being there because it's close to the Toll Plaza where the Toll Plaza used to be. Those two things are not actually that close, but it's north of Hartford and south of the border with Massachusetts along Interstate 84. And it's a restaurant that serves kind of like dinery food, like burgers and fries and stuff. But when you go there, 
there, you get to take for free a certain number of books off mm. of the many bookshelves that surround the place. Mm. Uh, and uh, so it's a really cool concept. I mean, it's, I, it's funny because calling it a concept is something of a misnomer. The place is pr- seems pretty old. And uh, I, I don't necessarily think of it as having been developed as a concept. You know, wood paneled walls. Uh, you know, it's... Um, but and you can buy books there too. But mostly, it's just a uh, you know boxes and crates of you know lost children of the uh, of the book industry, old you know sociology textbooks and murder mysteries and historical biographies lie in the place. And you get like a greasy spoon, uh, burger and fries, and then you get to leave with a couple of books. And so the no- the first notable thing about Traveler is you get to leave with the books. The second notable thing about Traveler is the sign. Uh, which has this giant sign that says Traveler Food and Books and that is up uh, visible from the highway. So this the store isn't actually on the highway. Like you have to turn off the highway and go up a hill to get to it. It sits like a castle uh, on the top of a small hill in an area of mostly trees. Uh, and and it has this giant sign that looks sort of like an old there. I wish there was there's got to be a name for this shape. Matt, I'm going to send you a link to this. Uh, yeah, I'm looking at it. I've, I've done the Google. Yeah, it yeah. looks like a. It looks like an old timey fancy. It looks like a book plate, actually. Right. Okay. I wonder if it's an actually an abstracted hardback book with the two with the kind of the spine and the curve of the hardbound spine uh, central, and then the kind of the leaves folding out to the side. If it is that, it is also. It also seems to be modeled after saloon doors. Uh, yeah, something like that. Yeah. So it's like a combination of the shape of a pair of doors in a saloon, an old-timey saloon, and a hardcover book that's been stylized. Uh, in that case, it's a brilliant sign, right? Because it combines the two characteristics of the place. It's sort of old-timey greasy spoon feel and the fact that it has books. Like, really, more than reading, this isn't a place that you go if you like reading. This is a place where you go if you like the physical objects that books are. Many of the books are old. A lot of them are kind of smelly. I got The Rock's autobiography, which he wrote like 15 years ago because he was really, he, I guess he thought the story had been lived. <laughs> but, uh, uh, a little a little early in the game there, Dwayne Johnson, to write your autobiography that early on. But um but yeah, it's 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 a it's a sign that says that you're sort of a certain di- distance from home. Right. Like, OK, you're getting to the traveler and then you get to the border and then, you know, you used to get to the toll plaza. But now the toll plaza is electronic. You don't have to deal with the toll plaza anymore. But you get on the pike and then you head home. Um, but but it's it's when I'm planning a road trip. Uh, one of the first questions is, will I get to stop at Traveler? <laughs> and and then, because Traveler doesn't actually stay open late, which is weird, right? Because you think that a place that gets all of its business from highway interstate travelers that's in the middle of nowhere would want to extend its hours so that it could, you know, take advantage of the fact that it's the only show in town. But no, it closes at like eight o'clock or like nine o'clock on most days. Uh, and so a lot of the time that's later than I get there. Right. And if you hit traffic, it's definitely later than you get there. Yeah. So there's the travel, there's the traveler gamble where you're like driving from New Jersey back to Boston. And it's like, if I hit no traffic, I can stop and eat a traveler. But if I hit traffic, I have nowhere to eat. And then I have to go to the rest stop. And then, and that goes to your question of like, are you hungry for McDonald's? Like I'm hungry for authenticity, man. That's what I'm hungry for. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess this relates to signs because the big sign for traveler, just like the big billboards for Pepe's that, that are strewn all over the highway are telling you that something is there. Uh, and, and something that you already care about. Maybe that's the other aspect of all this is like, uh, to what degree is the sign 
um, trying to induce a feeling in you that's been kind of concocted versus to what degree is the sign relying on you already having feelings about the things that you're experiencing and is saying, well, you can have them again. Exactly. Uh, exactly yeah. that. Yeah. So that, I had like, yeah. right. Cause like when I see the friendly sign, I mean, we don't have friendlies out here, but in, when I was lived in the, the Northeast, like when I see the friendly sign, it's like, Ooh, ice cream sounds pretty good right about now. You know, that like that, uh, it does induce a, a certain, a certain amount of demand and, and it, it sort of gives rise to desire that was not, uh, that was not previously there. And that's like, you know, that's a real thing. Like that, that's, that's how, um, you know, that's, that's how not to bring it all back to capitalism, but that's, that's sort of how it's supposed yeah. to work. Right. And that like, and, uh, and that's, that's how corn finds its way into my body. More or less, you know, that's, and, and we've, we've like the kind of the great master narrative, Pete, that you proposed to the overthinking a podcast and to all society, really, to, to world history is, is it's a, a quest, a corn's quest to be eaten is how we, uh, is how we think, is how we think about these things. And that, that, that high fructose corn syrup in that, you know, uh, uh, petroleum products, soft serve right is uh that 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 stuff wants to wants very badly to to find its way into your gi tract and and so <laughs> that so you get the friendly friendlies sign um looking at you from from over the road but think about the difference right think about the difference between the highway sign which is a blue it's a blue rectangle with services for a blue rectangle with services for uh uh, motorists, right? So gas station represented by a gas pump. Um, I, I don't know other things and, uh, uh, food represented by like a plate with a fork and knife, I think, right. Uh, is right, the right. one that shows, right. And then the, the difference between that, um, that tells you how to do something or where to do something. And, uh, and the, the sort of branded signs that, that are there to kind of induce demand that are there to kind of be object to be objects of desire and to kindle desire in a time in a place where there was no um a place where there was no desire before like that's it's an interesting thing like does the does the does the does the sign want to make you do something or does the sign want to show you what you want is the sign there for the good of you or is the sign there so that you can do something that's that's good for um, that's good for another party. I mean, here, here in LA with this sort of sprawling metropolis, right? Like the, the counter argument to, um, the homogeneity of signs on the interstate highway system is that every municipality, and there are like, there are a bunch of them and they're like all in this giant urban sprawl that goes on for, for dozens or hundreds of miles. Um, they're they're all they all sort of abut each other is that like different cities have different signs you know i'm sitting in in la right now blue street signs if i walk across venice boulevard into culver city green street signs if i go the other way uh north into beverly hills white street signs if i go into santa monica santa monica had like a branding firm had like 
Landor or Chiat Day or something. No, that's advertising, isn't it? it? Had some like you know um, someone at Pentagram like designed the Santa Monica visual identity, and so you you know when you see the like the gold stripe at the top of the the street sign and the kind of the blue and also the branded typeface for Santa Monica that you're in Santa Monica and on and on and on. And this is actually important because like you know I don't know four zero five nine Venice Boulevard might mean two different things depending on the city that you're in. Though I, it wouldn't happen on Venice Boulevard. That that's too big a street, and it's it's numbered from the ocean uh, all the way downtown. But the, that will the the big boulevards are uh, all numbered that way. But there are there are streets where it would matter what city you're in, and so like being able to show you, being able to differentiate between the different municipalities, or whether you're in um, whether you're in Los Angeles, is an important thing. Now within that, you actually can tell how old the part of Los Angeles that you're in is, or at least when they last had their signs redone um, based on what style of street sign they have because they keep updating it uh-huh. uh, and it's it's I, to, it's the sort of it's the sort of like urban history and kind of municipal planning thing that I find fascinating I'll put a link in the show notes but but no one else no one else seems to but if you have the old uh, enameled iron um, shotgun style sign versus the trapezoidal sign versus the much uh, much cheaper one assumes stainless steel um, you know, kind of flag styles, just rectangular flag style sign. Uh, it, you know, it's a, it's a whole, it, it's a whole rabbit hole that, that you can, you can go down. Um, and I suppose the same thing where you are, Pete, like doesn't Arlington and Cambridge have different street signs? You know, here, the other, here's the thing about Massachusetts. I don't know if it's the same thing for you in California or if it's the same anywhere else. I don't think it was the same where I grew up in New Jersey. There's never a sign for the street that you're on. Huh. There's very rarely like there's that not all the time, but like if there's ever a road sign missing, it's for the street that you're already on because it's assumed that you know where you are and that you need to know where you're going. I guess it's like, oh, well, I know that I'm on Broadway and it's like, actually, I don't. I don't know what street I'm on right now unless I'm, you know, and this is all pre Google Maps stuff. I don't. It's very possible that. Arlington and Cambridge, these two abutting towns, and I live near the border of the two, have different street signs. It hasn't really occurred to me, uh, which is interesting because um, I just assume that everything is the same. Uh, and um, but also I also assume that I can never actually get to see a sign that gives me the information that I need. Uh, although I guess if I'm trying to turn off onto a particular street, then um, the sign is there. So in that case, it's not totally, totally useless. But the other thing that happens in Massachusetts is same thing that you've described. You'll have streets with the same name. It'll, you know, it, it'll, it, it'll maybe be a different suffix, right? It'll be like Kirkland Drive and Kirkland Court and Kirkland Place and Kirkland Street, yeah. and they're all, and they're all intersecting or parallel in the same area, uh, and so the sign is not really telling you much about where you're going. Um, I'm thinking of like the city line signs where you're in two sounds at once. There's definitely a, a granite sign on the border of Arlington and Cambridge that's like an art installation. That it's like it's like granite on the ground with two pillars and a, and a line carved in the granite with Arlington on one side and Cambridge on the other side, which is interesting because Arlington used to be Arlington used to be part of Cambridge like mm-hmm. way back in the day. So, but yeah, I mean, it's probably true. I just I, maybe they're just not so crafted yet that I notice the difference, which is a a uh, it's it's a mark in favor of all of the brand designers because if there's a reason for the towns to have different signs then it would be it should be worth it you know by definition 
right? Because there's reason uh, to have people actually notice the difference. And and maybe you do need to bring in the late capitalist branding inst- uh, consultancy in order to redesign your town if it's important to you for your town to have different signs. Or is it just a coincidence because people use different vendors? Do they seek to use different signs? This is where we're starting to get into the area of like me asking questions where I know that all I really had to do is like send an email or make a phone call and I could get a better answer than I could give you. Um, like I have friends who make instructional videos about intersections for a living. <laughs> like, like this is how a bike intersection works. Cause I work for public works. Like, and I could ask them about the street signs. Uh, but lowly me, I just have to look at them with mystery and decipher them like scripture. And that's, that's the way in which I interact with them. Like they are the truth and I, they, but they are clearly not literally true. They have to be interpreted. Right. So it's like, I have to kind of dwell on them and allow them to inspire me and hope that I find out the way that I'm going and I'll, let alone whether or not Google maps is going to be correct at any given time about the correct way to navigate an intersection that has multiple different turnoffs in different directions. Let me, let me pull but, this um, off the highway of, of my preoccupation <laughs> with, with late capitalism and then talking about road signs and talk about signage in, in a slightly different way. Ha, have you ever worked in a, uh, a newly built building or a newly renovated building or a building that has been, you know, redesigned or re remodeled, re renovated or something like that in an office? Sure. I mean, yeah, 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 yeah definitely. And, and one of the things that always happens is that whatever design team is responsible for how or whatever kind of de facto design team, if there isn't one that is called that, um, is responsible, always like does a signage system like so that the number on everybody's door looks the same. It's on a similar type of plastic plaque. You mm-hmm. know, the conference rooms all have their names on them or what, you know, however, whatever the system is, the bathrooms, yeah. the elevators, the the water fountains, whatever you have, all the services. Are, are there and you know or if it's uh if it's a building that has many different offices in it it has like you know suite numbers and that's that's all done at the level of the building right the first thing that happens when you actually try to inhabit a building right is that people print out crappy signs on their you know inkjet printers <laughs> on eight and a half by 11 pieces of paper in comic sans or whatever and just tape them up and those are the real signs you know yes. that's the actual wayfinding system that's the actual sort of um the sort of lived experience of of that like it's almost like the signage the wayfinding systems shouldn't be designed until anyone ever until the the building has been lived in for at least six months you know and then you go through look at all the things that people have put up and then then you know then you actually understand the needs of your users and then you can sort of pave the cow paths as it were you can you can make signage that's actually useful based on the things that people um based on the the things that that people actually need to know when using when using the building this was i I went to the um I went to uh, Santa Monica Courthouse to pay a speeding ticket the other day. Not the other day, the other week. And uh, the traffic citation, um, you know, department in this uh, L.A. County Superior Courthouse was just a rabbit warren of signs, right? And it's all based on 
it's all based on the questions that people have to answer over and over and over. Can I pay my parking ticket here? What forms of payment do you take? If it's late, what are the consequences? Can I use this? What forms of paper of, of payment do you take? Can I pay my parking ticket? Can I use a MasterCard? What forms of payment do you take? And you know what I mean? And all of these things were, were answered with like bolds and exclamation points, some enterprising uh, bureaucrats or civil servants or whatever had put uh, had put some clip art in, right? That's that's going the extra mile, right? Is 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 delving into the uh, um, uh, judicial systems, you know, contract with whatever clip art provider that they have uh, to to put the to put the clip art in. And you know what would be better than all of those signs up everywhere? You know, is a process that made sense, or or <laughs> you know, or documentation uh that that was actually useful that kind of went went step by step and i feel like that the because i work in in software engineering building things on the web for um for people to use there's been such a uh, uh so much um time and effort put into like user experience and product design and product management and things like this. And like thinking about, uh, thinking about non-digital, thinking about actual um, processes as products that, that, you know, can be designed and can be optimized. It's just, would just be so much better, would just be so much better. You know, where there is not, you know, a workplace, a a place you go to have an experience um, where there is not a single paper sign anywhere where disneyland (laughs) right like because they are the masters of design of the of designing the experience um designing the experience as a product uh and i i don't think everything should be like disneyland disneyland is a little bit fascistic just to just to troll you with another uh political <laughs> system um but it's i mean it's all in that it's all cent- centrally planned uh and that there is a sort of supreme leader you know to whom uh all credit is due uh who by the way uh is three circles and is a fantastic sign you know is a is a really good logo but uh, and and I think there is something kind of beautiful. There is a weird kind of natural beauty, uh, a weird kind of street level um, culture in the rabbit warren of signs that that go up in the kind of the geological layers um, of uh, you know of instructional and and um, warning signs in in the. Uh, uh, in the the court, this the court that I went to to pay my my speeding ticket. But the the um, the, uh, the the real the real signs, right, are the paper ones. The real signs are the ones that people actually um, that I, that people actually make themselves and and put up, rather than. Uh, uh, right. ra- rather than the rather than the official signs. Like if you want to know the actual native written language of a group of people, you only really need to learn one phrase, which is do not leave the microwave unattended. <laughs> well, and that phrase will like, always yeah. be written in the native language. <laughs> yeah, it's a, I mean, that's that's funny. Like, or will the person who has been stealing food <laughs> out of the shared refrigerator please cease and desist, you know? And it's funny because I think people think of 
those kinds of expressions as kind of weirdo expressions, but they're governed by necessity, right? They're compelled by necessity and they reflect reality in ways that perhaps the unnecessary and unreal other sorts of expressions that are taking place on the floor uh, do not, uh, which is, I think that's a really, a really interesting idea. Both this idea, I, I love the, I mean, I don't love doing it. I don't love them, but I love the notion of shadow systems. I feel like it's so important. Just, I, I love that it is a way of thinking about things, and it is uh, so critical, I think, to understanding so many different kinds of situations. The idea of, like, well, if you don't do it right, someone else will do it wrong. <laughs> and at least wrong from your perspective, but right for their perspective. and uh, Or at least to the very least, I should say, if you don't do it right, someone else will do it necessary. Uh-huh. And, uh, and, uh, and that the the more that is clearly being done to be necessary that is going on with regards to your interaction with a space, uh, the less it is being done right <laughs> is, is maybe a good rule of thumb, which which actually that would uh, that would have rather um, negative things to say about the Legend of Zelda, the Ocarina of Time, because you have to have the stupid fairy with you all the time telling you what to do. But uh, I guess maybe that's uh, that's 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 more of a feature than a bug, although it's more like a bug than a, than a creature. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, I mean, well, like kids, like, so I had a chalkboard in my room growing up, a chalkboard shaped like a triceratops, which is such a loaded symbol in and of itself, a chalkboard shaped like a triceratops with my name painted on it, Uh which, well, wow, that's layered, right? Like first step, it's a chalkboard in a child's room. You know, chalkboard as a symbol, as a sign is related to school. It has to do with schoolwork. And so, like, there's the schoolwork that's been placed in the room of the child. Two, shaped like a dinosaur, right? Dinosaurs are this way that children interact with the notion that the world is bigger than what they experience. Uh, and it, it, in an exciting and positive way, it's a dinosaurs are a fun way for kids to deal with the limited scope of their own lives. Right. It's like, oh, man, you know, there was a time and a place where things were different than they are now in an awesome way. You know, and, and gradually the uh, the more fully formed notion of what that really means about everything around you will come upon you. Yep. But in that point, it's like this stomping three-horned glee that sort of like crashes through uh the various you know eras up until the present day and then it has your name on it to be like you know what you should use this this is the idea of what we think you are like right like this is a part of you this has been identified as part of as associated with you because you weren't really capable of identifying what you're associated with at this point in your life because you're a small child so like but at any rate what do you draw? What people would draw on that chalkboard is interesting. Yeah, you know, would they draw pictures that were pictures that were of them? Right, that was frequent. People would draw little stick figures of themselves. Would people write a message to me? Right? Would they? You know, you come out, you wake up on your birthday, and it would say "Happy Birthday" on your on your chalkboard, which is interesting because it kind of brings it into your space. Um, have you? Ever, and this reminds me of like the whiteboards that people had on their doors in college. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and I mean, I have a whiteboard in my home gym and we have we have, you know, whiteboards on our fridge. Do you have whiteboards? Let me ask you this. Do you have a a temporary mutable sign like the friends magna doodle anywhere in your particular place of living where people can live custom leave custom signage for you? No, I mean, ge- generally uh, we text or slack. <laughs> you have you don't have you don't have a magna doodle. You have persistent chat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, it was always nice that the friends had that magna doodle up on their wall, uh, this sort of uh, fancy person's etch-a-sketch. 
that you could leave it and there are little messages that are hidden there right that would tell you like hey or it would have some sort of joke that wasn't really related thematically or it would say like peter you should go and kill all the wait no that 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 was only me watching friends that wasn't you no i never uh bad joke bad joke but the, the point is that like that i'm interested in uh this impulse that you've identified to sign a place to mark a place like we've already talked about kind of branding, both in the sense of, you know, burning your mark into something, which is also commercial. Right. Or in the sense of like, I am I am so I am so much more interested in being different from others than being the same from others that I that I put up a sign that deliberately confounds uh, the idea of what I what is what it represents. Right. Like um, I'm taking the mortar and pestle and I'm replacing it with a kangaroo. Right. Like and uh, and deal with it. Right. <laughs> because I want to be thought of as jumping, not as medicine. Right. Because <laughs> I'm the jumping medicine. Uh, and um, which which is like that. And this is this all uh, this impetus to make a sign. And then we've also talked about the idea of going into an environment where the signs don't fit what you feel like the sign needs to be said. What sort of overlay needs to be done? I feel like that's a really interesting critique of this sort of uh, uh, highly critical reading of hyperreality. This idea that like, you know, oh, you never experienced the real world because this fake world is layered on top of the real world and you're being manipulated constantly and you don't know what the truth is. And and by the way, uh, there's a universal human drive to tell people not to steal your food. Right. And like and like that is also part of it. Right. It's like the sort of David S. Pumpkins dancing skeleton. It is, it is part of it. Right. Like uh, <laughs> and yet I don't think of that as a cynical manipulation. Um, I mean, it can be a cynical, passive, aggressive abuse of your good, good time and good nature. But uh, if it gets too mean or if it has like multiple layers or fonts or like a cute piece of art. Um, but then it goes all the way to the idea of like, well, what sign would you put up in your own space uh, and why? Um, why do you need to have it reflected back to you? Do you have art or posters on your walls at home? Uh, I have some black and white photographs that I took. I'm very bad. I'm very bad at this. My girlfriend is actually much, much better at this. But I like I had at those. Photography or hanging posters? No, at hanging posters. It actually okay. de- at actually decorating a space. It's something. It's something that we've talked about. My, you know, having been. Uh, having been single in this apartment for the last several years and uh, not, you know, when I, when I'm with her, we go to her place because frankly, it's a lot more visually pleasant to be in <laughs> than, than, uh, than mine is. I have a, like a bare kind of dorm like aesthetic in, on my, on my white walls. One of which has a green, uh, green screen hung up on it so that I can shoot videos for overthinking it. But uh, beyond, beyond that, my, um, my level of ornament is, is very, uh, is small. I don't know. Do you do you do uh, do you do like posters or art or photography or you know I don't know uh, uh, snapshots of you and friends or family or stuff like that. Well, I do. I like to think of each room in our home as having a sort of rudimentary conceptual design. <laughs> so, uh, so the living room, I have a picture of. I have a print of the, the George Surratt, the bathers at something something. Uh-huh. So I'm not that pretentious because I don't know the name of the of the painting, but off the top of my head. But you know the painting I'm talking. Yeah, about. Yeah, the Sunday in the Park with George painting. Right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And so, like, the, you know, the painting. There are pillows on the couch 
that that kind of highlight the light blues that are in the painting, right? And there's like yellow and blue and the pillows that are on the couch and the big white couch, right? And there's sort of like a the the rug is you know sort of tan but has kind of like light highlights in it that are a sort of a swimmy characteristic. And it's all supposed to mark this as a sort of sunny place of leisure. And it's convenient that it has like bay windows with big yellow curtains, right? And so the sun comes in. So there's that room, right? And then you move into so I've identified this is the same concept of kind of signage. Uh, I'm, I'm not telling you it's the living. I'm telling you it's the living room, but I'm telling you it's a living room. Uh-huh. Uh, that's what the sign is doing. And then you walk into the dining room, and it's a se- series of different geometrical shapes. So there's a circular mirror inset in a large circular frame. There's a rug on the floor with kind of thatched diamonds. There's a, um, a credenza like a cedar chest with a kind of crisscross pattern that echoes the thatched diamonds on the floor. And then the dining room table is like a raised table with high chairs and it's all square angles and inlay and it's wood, right? So it's got like those sort of stacked and inset right angles all over the place. Uh, and then, then there, that's where the books are. So we have bookshelves in there, right? Mm. So the idea of sort of like books and knowledge and systems and math, and it's all dark brown. So it's contrast of light and dark. Uh, the walls are light. The furniture is dark. Um, and so that you move from the sort of sunny, uh, sunny, reclining, warm space into the sort of calculated and designed and articulated space, which has kind of structure to it. And I'm here in what we call the early late room because I come here when it's late and my wife comes here when it's early. And this place is um, – I mean, it's got all sorts of stuff on the walls. It has my my Einstein photo that a uh, family friend got me for my high school graduation. It's got the poster that you guys got me for the play that the one act play that I wrote that you oh, directed yeah. that we produced, you know, that you produced down in New Haven back yeah. in the day. Back That's in the hanging day. on my wall. Yeah. Uh, but, oh, there's a few signed prints of posters from shows that I wrote or directed that are up on the walls. And there's a big cork board that has our behavioral reinforcements on it, our stickers and our calendars. <laughs> um as well as my note from Andrew W.K. that I got for being one of the first people to buy his Japan-only double album in the United States, which says, Push it on up and never let down, party hard, signed Andrew W.K. is signing on the wall, right above a double sticker of two minions high-fiving. So if you can dissect that, uh, I guess that this is the room where things get done, where we sort of think of getting things done, where we come to start our days and, and we come to do our side work. Um, and then the uh, the bedroom is more of a womb where, you know, everything is kind of blue and gray and kind of like heavy curtains and heavy bedspreads and heavy furniture and black frames and everything's dark and is supposed to be sort of soothing and kind of ensconced uh, to cop another Seinfeld term. I, so love, like, yeah, I yeah. love the idea of, of a room where things get done because it, it strikes me that there are um, there are a couple of uh, there are a couple of of rationales for signs. Right. And one it one is what is this? You know, what is this thing? And the other is, what should I do next? You know, mm-hmm. it's either like it's either an, a, an item on an on an inventory or an item on an itinerary. Right. And the idea that like what you know, what ought I to do, <laughs> you know, or what is the nature of the world? Right. What is that? What is the nature of the thing that I'm looking at and experiencing it, are, are the two kind of basic existential questions that that science answer and that like the 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 room where things get done in your home is something with with various kinds of encouragements right with or yep. with with various kinds of um of reminders and so it's not actually about 
it's not actually about what you should do. It's that's more about who you should be, right? And kind of reminding you about a version of yourself, you know, uh, as a sort of aspirational version of yourself that you are sometimes and would like to be all the time, or would like to be more often, or would like to be at the moments that you're you're actually in that room doing the things that you you know that you want to be doing with your like you know the the stickers that like reinforce sort of streaks of you know um, adaptive behaviors. Or, or uh, Andrew WK reminding you to party hard uh, every every single minute of the day, you know? <laughs> exactly. It, that makes me think back to you talking about the friendlies sign, which, by the way, that's another thing you see if you drive from New York to Massachusetts is a giant topiary in Wilbraham, Massachusetts, the home of friendlies, which is a just a, a huge uh, living embodiment of the friendlies logo. Uh, which is just uh, it made me chuckle when you said it. But when you see the friendly sign, do you get hungry for ice cream or do you get hungry for being a person who is eating ice cream? Right. You know, it's like the Conehead Sunday. I want to be the kind of person that has a Conehead Sunday in front of me. And even the Conehead Sunday is a sign. And of course, signs and symbols. We're now getting into such a broad area of discussion that it covers. We could just start talking about anything at this point. But uh, um the, the, the Conehead Sunday, what is the Conehead Sunday, but, you know, a kind of like caveman quality painting, right? It's almost like pressing your thumb uh, across Simba's face with the dust on it. It's like those three Reese's pieces that form the eyes and the nose of this particular Sunday that's supposed to be a human being with a conical head that you eat, I guess, for his insolence. No, because you want to participate in his fun, I guess. It's uh, certainly... I miss that about Friendlies. Uh, the ice cream, I mean, I haven't gone to Friendlies in a while. They still exist around here, but I haven't gone in a while. And it's not that I, so much that I miss the quality of the food, but I do miss the feeling of the kind of person that I was when I went there, mostly because I used to go to Friendlies when my mother was giving birth. Uh, so it's a pretty powerful place for me. So like, oh, I get to stay off school and I get to go to Friendlies. Boss, right? <laughs> and and my mother gave birth a bunch of times when I uh, within my living memory. Yeah, well, so, you're uh, the you're the you're the eldest, so you experienced yeah. every. I mean, however, probably like with increasing lucidity as you got older, but like you experienced every single time uh, other than your own, which you also experienced, but not with yeah. a lot of not with there, a lot of. Lucidity. There's an algebraic notation of how much ice cream you got based on where you were in the birth order, right? I'm sure right? Like it's probably pretty simple, too. But yes, I'm the oldest. There's a bunch of us. I got to go to friendlies every time one of them was born. Uh, does that does that mean that I remember their births more fondly because I got to have ice cream? That's the joke, right? Because the joke is that people are base creatures uh, and hedonists at heart. Or do I remember the friendlies better because it was accompanied by such a major event of such a celebratory and and awesome nature? Right. Like that's probably real as much as we like to think that lives are silly, Um, you know, and the people and their mood and picking up on that. Um, I mean, I love a patty melt. Don't get me wrong, but I I love the entrance of awesome people into the world even more than I love a patty melt. Uh, And I guess I don't think friendlies is taking all that into account. When they're putting their sign up, or maybe they are, and that's why they're not more successful. I don't, I don't know. The, the, the brand message. The, the, <laughs> uh, the patty melt is like the best melt, you know, like far superior to a tuna melt or uh, you know any other kind, any other kind of melt, like a chicken and avocado melt. No, forget, right. forget that. The patty Get melt. Get that Welsh rare bit out of here. No, that's some nonsense. No, no, I'm saying you know, <laughs> fry some rye bread and butter, right, and give me some, uh, give me some sautéed onions and Swiss cheese on a medium rare 
nightmare burger patty and uh and i am a happy man you know and create an image of it and hang it in front of a store and i will go into it even or, or just pick a kangaroo i don't care <laughs> i guess i would end up caring yeah, but uh, just as that i i nearly i nearly said that the, the the patty melt is the best hamburger but that that them's fighting words because obviously uh the bacon cheeseburger with barbecue sauce is the best hamburger and maybe an onion ring on that really the carl's jr western bacon cheeseburger uh and and if i didn't uh if, if i could eat them if they weren't so problematic politically um the uh i i because of capitalism and and other things <laughs> i i would i would eat those things yeah here's what i remember pete here's where i wish i i were there used to be i don't know if you had these back east i don't know if it was a regional thing there was a, a drugstore chain called thrifties that got mm-hmm. um got uh, bought by Rite Aid and they had uh, ice cream, Thrifty's brand ice cream. And I think the brand of ice cream still survives, even though uh, the the business got swallowed by, got acquired by, by Rite Aid. And they had these ice cream counters where they would uh, give you ice cream as they do at an ice cream counter. And so a, a, a visit to the drugstore, which for a child is like a tedious errand to accompany a parent on, you know, on a trip to the drugstore to like go up and down the aisles, buying all the band-aids or, you know, I don't know, Tylenol or whatever you need, uh, and the, you know, to adult things too, too horrible or embarrassing to contemplate. Um, or, you know, if you're sick, right, like amoxicillin in the pink, in the pink thing that mm. like you're going to have to take, you know, by the spoonful when, when you get home. But like it's accompanied by, it's accompanied by Thrifty's ice cream. And so that, that, that Thrifty sign for me meant, you know, um, either like sickness or tedium or, ice cream and that's uh you know that's that's uh it's really all goes back to childhood i guess i mean i guess that's why that's why they brand so much to that demographic right is they want to get in while you're still forming memories that'll be pleasant for you yeah uh that'll (laughs) stick with you because all the memories i form now are like are about like you know i don't know back pain or things like that (laughs) that's why i go to the oh did you see that the department of motor vehicles just released an ice cream brand (laughs) yeah i ate two pints of it while waiting to file my registration renewal because the online thing didn't work. I sat there for two and a half hours and it was chunky monkey and it was delicious and I hate myself. Yeah, I don't think anybody wants to get on that brand experience. That would be funny though, if, if just like really opportunistic brands of ice cream started trying to insert themselves into the unpleasant memories of the old because at least they will recur as opposed to the, <laughs> the fond memories of the young which will be recalled. So it's like, oh, my back hurts again. Guess it's time to buy ice cream. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's uh let's call it there for this episode of the Overthinking Podcast. Thanks very much for listening. Pete, thank you for podcasting. It's a pleasure. Uh it's a pleasure as always. Um, hey, you may have wondered about our good friend Mark Lee. Uh and yes. where where he is. He's at uh, friendly. <laughs> <laughs> well, he might have spent I mean, if he <laughs> It's funny. Based on your criteria, he might have spent some time uh, waiting at Friendly's if this were still the 50s and fathers were not present at the birth of their children. But uh, this is not the 50s, and Mark was present at the birth of his child, his little Yay! boy Owen. So congratulations, Dad. Uh, what a uh, what an amazing thing, and what a great reason that you have to skip some podcasts. And, and we all look forward to listening to it. Listening to stories about it when we uh, when we finally have you back on the show. Yeah, if there's one thing that I know that child will learn from having such an awesome dad as Mark, 
is that there's no fate but what we make. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, We're brought to you by our members who are the supporters who uh, give us five bucks a month uh, in a subscription format in in addition to the warm, fuzzy feeling that they get for supporting Overthinking It, the podcast they love, with about a buck a week. And I hope we bring a buck a week of entertainment. If I mean, if we don't really go do something else with your time, <laughs> honestly, life is short, man. Like, uh, you play hard, woman, you know, <laughs> life is short listener. I shouldn't be, shouldn't be gender normative that the, the, uh, life is short and go, go do something. And if that thing that you love is overthinking it, uh, support us, go to overthinkingit.com slash join. In addition to that warm, fuzzy feeling, you get some extra podcasts and, and other goodies. Uh, we'll be back with more listener feedback and, and things like that uh, and a whole new Overthinking It podcast next week till then visit us on the web at Overthinking It where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it, it probably, probably doesn't, doesn't deserve, deserve. you thought we were going to talk about M. Night Shyamalan. Hey, Matt. Man, it's, uh, it's amazing that those, uh, that those creatures actually were susceptible to water all along. Spoiler what a, alert! What a twist! What a twist! That movie was actually pretty good until they showed the aliens. <laughs>